sitting here just thinking how I should start a podcast without saying hello, 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 like I do on the Noah Davis show. This is the Noah Davis Watchcast, and I want a different flair to it, you know, something a little, a little oomph, you know, a little extra. And I have no idea how to start it up. If anybody is listening and can think of a great intro that just rolls off the tongue that I can transition into anything like hello, 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 welcome to blah, 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 blah. That'd be great because I just I can't think of anything. You know, it's it's kind of hard. I keep wanting to say hello. But um, yeah, this is the Noah Davis Watchcast where I talk to you about anything I've watched the past week. I haven't been able to record the past two days, so this is a little late, but we will be back on schedule come Tuesday. So first thing I watched, Secret Invasion Episode 2. I talked about episode one last week. I've got an energy going right now. Episode two, way better than episode one. I actually felt like a spy thriller. Some good action sequences, some actual character development, a really good, nice twist at the end, but something that came out of nowhere. Maybe not, maybe not a good twist in the fact that, oh, you should have seen it this whole time, but a good twist in the fact that it made sense and it added up and it brought a little extra layer to a character that didn't have that layer before. So it's nice. It has some great fight choreography. The direction actually works. The editing is a bit touchy, but that's just classic MCU. The editing's always for modern audiences, and I've come to not hold that against shows, but I will never not complain about it. Welcome to the Noah Davis Watchcast. <laughs> that's that's the that's encompassing my whole whole thing. That's my whole spiel, my, my whole, my whole gag, you know? So I do want to talk about some extra things. It is hilarious how Marvel has a show where the special effects are great. They, I haven't seen one special effect that looked bad and I'm watching it on an HD screen. You know, it's not like theaters where some CG is excused because it's so huge, but I'm watching it on a small HD, well, smaller HD screen and it doesn't look bad at all. There's a lot of prosthetics and practical makeup. And yet it's being overshadowed by one, people thinking this is a little uninspired. But two, it's being overshadowed by the AI theme sequence. So when people think of the artists on the show, they're not thinking of the VFX artists that did crazy good jobs or used AI to make the theme. They're thinking about the AI making the theme sequence by itself. Because obviously that's not how it worked. But the internet is the way it is, so articles have been running, some shitty posts have been running of being like, oh, Marvel's proof that artists are already being replaced. But you have to think, an artist would have to know how to transition all that AI sequences. It wouldn't just be 
one-to-one, the AI knows exactly what to do. Maybe now that that's out, an AI can learn from it, but they couldn't do that at first. So it had to have taken a team of artists to use the AI. What I would have personally loved to see is artists pretending to be AI. You know, I think they should have had their art team make AI-inspired pictures. That way, when this came out, when people were, oh, that's an AI theme sequence, they could be like, oh yeah, Secret Invasion, bitch. And it's actually humans doing that. You know, it would just be a cool, a, a cooly wink to the show itself. And instead, the AI itself is just, it's, it's not a coy wink. It's just a big overt wink that everybody sees, you know? And it's not, it's not great. I, I really don't love it. I love that they're open to using different tools for theme sequences because theme sequences have just gotten so fucking dull, man. I swear, ever since Daredevil Season 1 with the awesome, the blood pouring, ever since that, theme sequences have just been so dull, it hurts. I mean, whether it be HBO shows such as Westworld or any fucking Apple Plus show, every single one has to have a dumb theme sequence that pretends it's HBO because that's how they do it, whatever. Episode 2 of Secret Invasion is better than Episode 1. Moving on, Dark Side of the Ring episode about Junkyard Dog. God, what? I can't even talk about it. That just sucked. That just sucked. It wasn't fun. It wasn't fun to watch at all. And, uh, yeah, I would just recommend everybody watch Dark Side of the Ring. It's a really well put together series. Even if you don't like wrestling, I do think there are aspects and content that people will see. You'll see the quality of, even if you hate wrestling to your core, these stories are about humans. They're not about wrestlers. They're about human beings who have human interactions, human emotions, and do human things. Whether that's controversial or dumb or whatever you want to think. Oh, it's all fake. Yeah, everybody knows. It's called kayfabe, you dummy. Everybody knows. But these stories are about the humans. And it's it's sad more than anything. But it's very interesting. Super great to watch well put together. The interviews usually are always intimate, either people who are intimate with the subject, people who are either intimate with the actual person or the situation. You'll get parents and daughters and sons and brothers and co-workers and wrestlers, ex-wrestlers. But yeah, Junkyard Dog, it's a great story of a very, sorry, it's a sad story of a great man. You know, he did a ton for the wrestling community as a whole. But, uh, yeah, great TV. Watch it. I don't want to spoil too much of it. Next up, I want to talk about the Always Sunny new season. Hilarious. It's hard to review comedies because, in my mind, if comedy is funny, comedy is good. Yes, you heard that right. It's it's why I like She-Hulk so much. Comedy funny. Comedy good. You know? I, I don't... If you're a comedy, that gives you a shield of fucking protection. But, you know... You pretty much have plot armor, but in a comedy sense, where I won't try to poke holes in everything as long as you keep me laughing. But if you, the second you don't keep me laughing, oh, the hole poking is coming. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't value the cinematic aspects such as writing and character development in comedies as much as I do in everything else. You know, it's, 
it's like a, a a good musical. You're not looking for character development. You're looking for good songs. You know what I'm saying? There's there's a way you can confine these things into the aspect you're looking for. And a good action movie will have good action. It won't just have over-the-top action. That is not always the definition of good action. Good action can be two characters reacting to each other. You know, action does have a lot more layers, I think, other than just being stupid, big, buff guy fighting things. You know, John Wicks are good action movies because they have everything kind of... They have, a, you know, the, the nice bow all tied up for you for the action sequences. They also have solid characters and solid acting and great directing. Well, great directing. Whatever, great directing. So, yeah, it, a comedy, funny, always sunny, absolutely hilarious. It's funnier than 99% of TV. It's the funniest live-action sitcom ever. I will die on that hill. And fuck the haters. All right. Next up, I watched all of the Indiana Jones movies. Yep, I did it. So, I'm just going to make this kind of quick, kind of not. First one is great. Great movie. Well, you know what? First one is pretty good. Pretty good movie. I, don't, I won't want to say great. It might have been great at the time. It might have been great for what it did. It's good. I don't like Temple of Doom at all. I think that was a bad movie. I think that's a trash movie, honestly. that I was rolling my eyes and wanted to go to sleep. 45 minutes before the ending of Temple of Doom. It's just so disjointed. It trips over itself. Nothing works. It never feels like an adventure. It's just a... It's just Indy in a cave for two hours. And it never works because... I don't know. It's usually... Usually, I love when plots are inside or secluded to a very specific locale. I usually love that because the plot goes faster that way. There's less fat. You know, they trim the fat. They trim the buffer. There's no filler. It's usually always the direct sequences or the direct actions of each character. It's not here. For some reason, it's not. First off, they don't start in the place. Then they have to introduce them to themselves to the place. So it takes a while to get to the one place. And then when you're in the one place, you're in there for like an hour and a half. And it's just... It does the thing that I hate in movies where, let's say I'm fighting a guy. I'm fighting a guy, or Indiana Jones is fighting a guy, and that fight took two minutes. Well, in this movie, the direction, the editing, what have you, even the script maybe, has made that two-minute fight into a five-minute fight. I, <laughs> I think... The whole point of movies is cutting down things, you know? That's the beauty of adapting a book. It's a 20-hour book. It's a 10-hour book. Now it's a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Oh, this sequence took three days? Oh, D-Day took multiple days? Guess what? Now it's just Saving Private Ryan two-and-a-half-hour movie, you know? There's a beauty to it. Lord of the Rings? Oh, that took 10 years? Guess what? Now it's a three-hour you know, three movie trilogy, and that's it. That is what I love, but this does the thing where everything just feels elongated and stretched, you know, it's like some good dough. Actually, I don't want to call it good dough because it's really not, <laughs> but it stretches like good dough, but it's not, it's not good. It's not quality. Let's say it's good dough, but it tastes like shit. Whether it's even the humor, uh, the, the lack of a real villain or a cool and interesting villain. 
I don't know. There's no mystery. There's no, there's no nothing. And it's just, it's, I don't like it at all. It's, I don't like it at all. It's just, it's not my movie. It's really not. And the people, I'll get back to it. I'll get back to my comparison. Just remember, I don't like Temple of Doom. And then you have the third one, Last Crusade. Absolutely love The Last Crusade. There's nothing bad I can really say about it other than it being a little dated. And that's just how movies are going to work forever. It's a little dated, but absolutely fantastic. The chemistry between him and Sean Connery and getting all that kind of background lore, the intro where you get to see Indy's origin. I absolutely love the third one. There's there's almost nothing wrong with the third one. I'll love it till I die. I love the end sequence. It's burned into my brain. I think the third one's the best one. I don't know if I don't even know if that's a hot take. I have no idea. I don't care what the discourse around Indiana Jones is. I really don't give a fuck. Because that's not a fandom I would ever care to participate in. Next up, Crystal Skull. I actually love the look of it. It's got a film grain and it's probably shot on film. Who knows? Spielberg might have just put a really cool film grain on it. It's it's a great movie when it's just Indiana. Now, when it's not Indiana and it's got supporting characters, it fizzles a bit. But it's got a good villain. It's got good character developments between Indiana and his old friend. Uh, I forgot his name. I don't care to write down his name. The old British guy played by Ray Winstone. You have some great performances from John Hurt. And Shia Buffs. even not... He's not the worst part of this movie. I do believe the actor put as much of himself as he could into that script. I, I really don't think it's Shia's fault, you know? The, as weird as it sounds, I'm going to chalk it up to not his fault. It's not a perfect movie, but guess what? I like Crystal Skull more than Temple of Doom. So, I, I bet that's a hot take, but I don't care because Temple of Doom is so bad. So bad. I can't, I can't describe it enough how bad it, I hate it. I hate it. I would have written a whole page about how I hate it. But I don't do that. I refuse to do that. Next up, I watched Dial of Destiny. Went to the theaters, got to see that. I'll say, right off the bat, it's better than Temple of Doom. And that brings me to my comparison I was going to mention earlier. You know how Matrix 4 came out and people were deriding it and complaining and saying it's so bad, so bad, not like the old ones? That always struck me as odd because Matrix 2 and 3 are bad movies. Matrix 1, a classic. I love the first one. 2 and 3, I hate, hate 2 and 3. I don't like it at all. I don't like the Jesus leather rave. I don't like any of that shit. I don't like the on-the-nose allegories. I don't like any of it. 2 and 3, there's nothing for me in those two movies. So when Matrix 4 came out, and it wasn't the worst movie I've ever seen, I was thinking, oh, that's better than 2 and 3. I'd rather watch four any day of the week. Yeah, it had some dumb meta stuff, but it's the Matrix. Who cares? It's whatever. It's the Wachowskis. They, they're going to do whatever they want, and I'm not going to tell them not to. So again, they'll keep making these movies. You know, they made two and three, right? They made Speed Racer. But I, I don't think four is as bad as two and three. So back to Dial of Destiny. I don't think Dial of Destiny is as bad as two. At all. I think it's way better than 2. Is the good movie? No. No, it is not. It 
has far too many ideas crammed on the side. It kind of stumbles over each idea because there's so much time given to each individual aspect and thought that it just lingers far too long. The Indiana Jones sequences, they tried. They really tried. And I know he's 80 freaking three or something. It just doesn't come off well. It really doesn't. I think they should have played to him being an 83-year-old more than they did. But instead, they pretend he's 50 or 60. They pretend he's still Crystal Skull age, but he's 83. Whereas I think it would have been hilarious if he was 83 and literally tripping, literally stumbling, pretending to be an old geezer guy. You know, just doing these things that an old man would do. And instead, it's just an action romp. And it's confusing because he's 80 goddamn three, you know, or older. It's, it's just mind boggling because they didn't play into the strength of having an old Indiana Jones. And that's... That's really odd to me. Phoebe Waller-Bridge was probably the best part of the movie. Nothing really stood out as fantastic. I did love Maz Mikkelsen. I think he's a fantastic actor. He can do no wrong in my eyes. At least, you know, not that I know of. He was a great villain. I loved his villain. That's, again, one of my problems with Temple of Doom. Not my problem with this movie. I like the villain. The villain had great inspirations. I love the classic nod to the kind of all the first movies villains. I love just that villains take on the thing. You, you hear him. He wants to go back in time and he's a Nazi. So you think you can guess what he's going to do, but then when you find out what he's going to do, it, it kind of flips it on its head and adds a layer to that character that makes him even more menacing and even more sophisticated. So that is what I enjoy about a good villain you got, you got somebody who's actually a nemesis, who's actually a foil to your hero. Whereas Temple of Doom did not have that, you know? It, it didn't have that whatsoever. So, again, I, I know I'm just going to compare it to Temple of Doom this whole time. But, hey, if people think this is trash, I got to compare it to the previous trash of the series. So, back to the movie itself. It dragged on a bit. I do have to talk about how modern movies just add 30 minutes on the movies for no reason. There's a child character in this movie, and it's not short round. You know, short round is great. He's probably the only part I like about Temple of Doom. This kid is not short round, and when you put a child character into a series that has a character like short round, you should know that everyone is going to draw comparisons to short round. So... Why would you make him so bland and add nothing to the story? He doesn't even really add any heartfelt emotion to the story, even though it's very on the nose trying to get you to feel that emotion. It doesn't do that at all. It doesn't add a fun nature to anything. There's, there's nothing that this kid is doing that I care about. The actor, who cares? Actor's doing fine. I'm not going to badmouth the actor. I'm bad-mouthing this character. It's just boring, and it's used as a weird plot device that I don't care about. Almost a MacGuffin. And when you have a child as a MacGuffin, I don't know. It's odd. It's it's odd, to say the least. Uh, it dragged on. Already talked about that. I will say, last thing I will talk about it, the de-aging sequence. Boy, oh boy. Actually, this won't be the last thing I talk about. The de-aging sequence. It looks fine. It looks, some might say, great. 
Does it look great in 10 years? No, it will look like garbage in 10 years. But does it look great for the technology we have now? Yes. Here's the thing. It looks great. It sounds terrible. They did nothing to his voice. They did nothing to his demeanor. So when they mo-capped old man Harrison Ford's face, young man Harrison Ford is keeping his lips kind of down more and his jaw's not moving as much. And it kind of just sounds like this. And it's just, there's a, there's a gravel to it that doesn't work at all because it doesn't sound like young Indiana until he's yelling. When he's yelling, it's fine. But then obviously yelling, you're not going to have nuances of spoken word so that, you know, the math adds up there why yelling would sound similar. And it's weird. It's just weird. There's only one sequence of it, but it's the first 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes in the movie. So it's, it's pretty noticeable. There's a whole, they look directly at his face to show you the de-aging sequence. And then you're wondering why they're taking so much time on it. Because when he talks, it is not de-aged whatsoever. It stands out like a sore thumb. And the last thing I will talk about it is how much goddamn money they spent on this movie, bro. <laughs> Ridiculous. Some of these shots are so big, so bombastic, so clear in their wide shots that you're wondering, what the hell? There are so many extras in place. There's so many set pieces that are gigantic. There are so many well-crafted parts of the scenery, whether it be the wardrobe, whether it be the vehicles, whether it be just the actual scenery itself whether it's even the special effects like near the end, the end sequence, there are a ton of special effects that look so good. And you're just wondering why, why is this Indiana Jones and why is it costing this much money? It, there are easier ways to convey a lot of these things. I bet you those car chase sequence cost so much money. It's not even funny rhyme. Yeah. It's not even funny. And it's, it's almost annoying when you're bored during these car chase sequences and you're thinking, oh, wow, this probably cost a million dollars to film this one sequence. And it, it, it perplexes me. It truly perplexes me as to how they thought Indiana Jones was going to make that much money in this day and age when Harrison Ford is that old. It's one thing to make a new Indiana Jones movie. That's not an argument. But when you're putting pre-quarantine money into post-quarantine movies, you better fucking know it's going to make money. You know, <laughs> if, if you're going to go all in and spend $300 million on this movie, you better know it's making a billion. But since we're in post-quarantine times and you're launching it in the same summer that you have fucking Transformers, The Flash, Elemental... Uh, the new DreamWorks animated movie, the Spider-Verse, when you have all of those to compare to, I don't know. Disney, I think, just made a huge misstep here. Huge misstep because it's there's no way it's making the money back. No way in hell. Maybe somehow roundabout way, Disney Plus, Hollywood accounting way, but no way on normal budgetary math are they making their money back. And the one last tiny thing, the Adventures of Young Indiana Jones has a scene where Indiana is like 90 years old and has an eye patch. I would have loved to see Harrison Ford injure his eye in this movie. 
But that never happened, so whatever. I just thought that should be a thing. And the last thing I will talk about, 13 Assassins, which is a quote-unquote horror samurai movie. I, there wasn't much horror except for at the beginning. Absolutely beautiful movie. Camera work's tight. The effects are dope. It's almost got a Kurosawa sort of aspect to it due to it all being so intimate. It's not huge, giant, open battles. It's none of that. It is very specific sequences, very specific actions that lead up to a somewhat big battle. But again, even that big battle is cut up and divided into smaller battles. And that is a really great way to have just an easy pacing, an easy going feel where you're just going from one scene to the next to the next without caring. It's a ride. You're not you're not noticing the turns. You're just on the road. You know, it's more of a roller coaster and less cars on a street. And that that always, always, always makes a movie better. Always. It's not a perfect movie, but it's one of the better movies I've watched this year, whether it be the special effects, the direction of those special effects, because it has a certain glamour to it. As weird as that sounds, even though it's a rather dark action-based samurai movie. There's a glamour to every shot and every sequence. Even the script is nice and tight. All the characters are able to excel in their own ways and have their own stories without having solo scenes just about that character that only serve as one character. The lines of dialogue from each character builds their own story within this overarching story and it just services the whole thing well. It services all the characters' journeys. I think I already said journeys. It's their sacrifices, their their wills, their inhibitions, you know, it, it conveys that so well that you feel as though you like almost every single character by the end of the movie. And when your character has more than, or when your character, when your movie has more than three or four main characters, that is always tough. That is a very tough thing to do. Ensemble movies don't work all the time because of that exact reason. There's not enough time or effort put in to the side characters. So the ensemble is really just two big people. And then the rest of the cast, if you know what I'm saying, it's, you know, the Expendables route, where, yeah, it's an action movie, it's got action sequences, but you don't care about any of the characters, and that takes away from it somehow, you know, for a movie called Expendables. But again, 13 Assassins does the opposite of that. Every single character feels alive. They feel realized. It, it never puts its foot on the brake, and when it does, or if it does, there's a very distinct reason, and it doesn't feel like it's breaking, absolutely fantastic movie. I'll recommend this for years to come. I would definitely recommend watching it. And I think that is all for episode seven of the Noah Davis Watchcast. I will see you Tuesday on time on episode eight of the Noah Davis Watchcast. As always, it's been good. It's been real. Take it easy, guys.